What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. I just wanted to give you all a heads up that CMX Summit Rise 2021, our theme this year is Rise, is now open for registration. Already over a thousand people have registered in just the first few days. So we're seeing a ton of people coming out who are now interested in the world of community-driven business. We have an incredible lineup of speakers and experts this year. People like Greg Eisenberg from Late Checkout, Sahil Lavingia, Holly Firestone from Venify, some really incredible people, some of the top experts in the world of community and business. And we have tons more to be announced. We'll have over 60 different speakers. This is the first year as well that all of our workshops are going to be completely free for everybody to sign up. So you'll be able to go deep into how to build your communities in a better, more impactful way. It's going to be the biggest event we've ever hosted at CMX. Just go to cmxhub.com slash summit and you can RSVP for free today. We can't wait to see you all there. Today's interview is with Tiffany Oda, who's the Director of Community Operations at Venify. She also led community operations at Salesforce for the Trailblazer program before Venify. This is a really great interview because it's all about community operations, which is a topic that I'm really passionate about. It's an industry and a profession that's growing a lot right now. And there's a whole world of operational needs, automating processes, figuring out how to better track data and set up dashboards and just make community teams a lot more efficient. So often community teams are either solo community managers or they're small teams that just don't have operational person on the team. And so the community engagement manager just doing everything themselves. And sometimes it's extremely manual processes. Like one example Tiffany shares is when they had a trailblazer program at Salesforce, they would get thousands and thousands of applications for leaders who wanted to launch chapters. How do they process all of those applications and sort them and make sure that that can be done efficiently? Uh, How do you onboard new members into your community and new leaders? Uh, How do you set up reporting and dashboards to be able to understand your community and identify trends? The world of community operations is fascinating. And Tiffany is one of the leading experts. She's been a pioneer in this space. She's also building a community of community operators called Observations. So she's just a wealth of knowledge in this topic. And we just dive into so many really valuable insights and so much of her experience. In this interview, you're going to get a lot out of it. Let's dive in. We're working really hard on this podcast to bring you the top community experts in the world every single week. We really appreciate you listening. And it would be a huge help if you could just hit subscribe and go on to Spotify and Apple. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And please drop us a review. It really helps our podcast rise up in the rankings and make sure that more people are learning about community. Thanks so much. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. I've been very excited for this one. You have been a leader in the world of community operations, which has become one of my favorite topics to theorize on and learn about. And we're doing a lot of work on it at CMX as well. And I think is a topic that a lot of teams are starting to become more aware of and realize that there's a lot of opportunity to build a career in community operations and to implement these kinds of programs that make communities a lot more effective and efficient. I think every community professional is going to wish they have a Tiffany Oda on their team in the next few years. So that's so sweet. Excited to geek out together on community operations for a while. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. I think more and more community operations continues to get mentioned in conversations and people are inquiring about it. I'm so really happy to kind of share as much knowledge as I have and talk about it with you. We only have an hour, so there's no way we can tap into all of your knowledge, but we're going to try to get out the gems. 
So why don't we kick off with just like, I'm curious just how do you define community operations itself? Because I've also, there's community program management. There's like a few different kind of terms that teams are starting to use. So what is community operations? Yeah, great question. For me, community operations is everything that happens behind the scenes to make a community run smoothly. And I kind of refer to it sometimes like a restaurant. You have the back of house operations, it's the cooks, it's the line chefs, it's the sous chefs putting everything together. And then you also have front of the house. So like community, your community members, your community managers were kind of in the front of the house and behind the house, who's establishing all the tech stack, who's creating and implementing the processes, who's thinking about metrics and scalability. That's kind of where the operations house lies, I think. And with regards to the program management and the other roles that a community team could have, there's overlap. And I don't think it's a science. I think a lot of teams are the one-person community teams or people who don't necessarily have a, a large team. So you're wearing a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the community operations person does have program management responsibilities, but partners with the community managers or whoever's doing engagement or any of the community initiatives to kind of make sure that all in all, everything is running smoothly. Mm. I like this restaurant analogy. I think we could take it farther. So we have like the bussers or what, like your moderators. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your hostess is the, what, the welcome committee or? Yeah. Maybe like the onboarding <laughs> journey flow slash some of the moderation slash some of the community managers too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have the restaurant manager who's, that's like the director of community. When someone's really unhappy with their meal, they go talk to the community director. <laughs> yeah. Sending the dish back. <laughs> Got <Yeah. laughs> <some> community escalations. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. Having worked in uh, restaurants for a lot of my childhood, there's a lot of similarities in community management. Oh, totally. Yeah. Dealing with trolls. You have your mm -hmm. most loyal, engaged customers. Yep. It's all there. The ones who just come in and say, I'll have the regular and you know exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. You just have to know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Got to save their table for them. They sit in the same spot. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And then you change your menu and then they get really upset and they leave. <laughs> All right. I like it. And similarly, that's also like the legacy of the very old time community members who have been around and you exactly. kind of grandfather in like them into certain things. So just like the regular, if you change the menu, maybe you still provide that one dish just for that member or that customer. Mm -hmm. That's right. Cool. So I want to learn a little bit more about your background too, because you kind of started off in just general operations roles. And then over time, you became a community operations professional. Can you talk a little bit about your background? And what was that transition like going from general company operations into more specifically community operations? Yeah. So I think my first love was actually just like general project and program management. Mm -hmm. In school, I was always the one to color code my notes, sign up to be the group, like the group lead and coordinate everything. And so just bringing together everybody, keeping all of our tasks and owners of each line item organized and making sure the project runs smoothly and on time. Like that's something that I've been nerdy about since day one. From a community standpoint, I was involved from a personal level with several different communities. I was, this sounds like a brag. I don't mean it to be a brag, but I was Yelp Elite for five years. Ooh. I was part of, I know, I hate when I say that, but... um. Well, they made, they by naming it the Yelp Elite, they chose to make it sound elitist. Bougie. Yeah. <laughs> Bougie, yes. <laughs> I was part of a couple of gaming communities and really kind of understood loving being a part of something greater than yourself, a la community. Then kind of started dabbling in community from a professional level around 2014. It was not an official community role per se, but it was a startup. And we had a bunch of B2B customers who encountered the same questions and had the same problems with the platform and kind of just bringing them together. It started off with just webinars and then kind of an AMA and monthly events and kind of unofficially dabbled in community from there. I was also in customer support. So responding to cases, dealing with customer escalations, hearing about product features and enhancements that they wanted to get added to the roadmap. And so with kind of like the project management, obviously at a startup, you're wearing a ton of hats. 
adding in the customer support and adding in kind of my personal understanding of community, I knew that was something that I was really interested in getting into. That being said, I think everyone has fortes and I applaud all of the community managers out there, that front of house people who are really good at engaging and building those relationships with people. And I think I'm good at it, but I wouldn't consider it my strength or really my focus area. Like I do have a bunch of like social anxieties sometimes and engaging with the community is sometimes daunting for me. And so I had a hard time kind of finding a role that allowed me to use my skills of organizing and establishing processes and all that stuff in community without actually being a community manager. And stumbled across this role with the Salesforce Trailblazer community. It literally ticked all the boxes. It was for a senior program manager role. And it was just a match made in heaven. And so I think that was just a true blessing. And I got so lucky to come across such an amazing team. And now I think over the years that I was at Salesforce, defining what community operations is was something that kind of happened very naturally. And I think that it is a pretty niche position in that you are both back of house and front of house. So like, even though I say maybe that's out of my comfort zone and I'm not head of engagement and I'm not creating community initiatives up front in the front of the house, I still talk with community members every day. Mm -hmm. You're still listening to their feedback. I still speak in the webinars that are hosted and I still go to the community events and user group meetings and So it's a really fine balance that I truly love of, I guess it would be the general manager of the restaurant. They know all the kitchen people, they're talking, they're working the line, but then at the same time, they get to go to the front of the restaurant and talk with the customers and see Mm -hmm. how their meals are going, Right, which has been truly great. Yeah. You care about the system from beginning to end and making sure everything is running smoothly, which includes the people's actual experience with the community, but it starts way behind the scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. So what does like a day in the life of a community operator look like? Because it it seems to kind of span a whole wide range (laughs) of different responsibilities and roles. It ranges from metrics and dashboards to systems and processes and project management. So Mm -hmm. yeah, what does a day in your life look like? It's been drastically different. I don't know. For those of you who don't know, I recently transitioned out of Salesforce and I'm at a new company called Venify. And it's very different because we are actually still working on building the community and launching it. We haven't launched yet. So going from a super well-established hundreds of thousands of people community to pretty much nothing, my day-to-day has changed drastically. And I think it depends on where your community is at in terms of what your day-to-day looks like. But Mm -hmm. on average, I would say a lot of it is observing and making sure there's no holes in processes. Or if there's maybe areas for improvement, are there any bottlenecks? Are community managers struggling and taking a lot of time in one part of a process, whether it's onboarding a new leader or going through a leader application or dealing with a case or an escalation that comes in? Where are they getting stuck? What are the touch points that could be streamlined a bit? Mm -hmm. Scoping out, how do you do that? Is it a step that you maybe want to automate or just make the workflow better behind the scenes so it's less clicks or less pages that someone needs to have open, something super simple like that. Thinking about the community roadmap. And so that's working with the director of VP of community, the head of your team, working with the community managers, listening to community members and seeing like what kind of programs and what initiatives are going to be planned throughout the next year that should be added on the roadmap. And what operational pieces should be added in that? Is there like, Mm. you know, an automated form or like an application or is there a new platform that they want or a new resource working on building out tools and platforms for both internal and external? A lot of it is also just platform maintenance. So if you're looking to implement a new platform or there's always enhancements that you're asking for and liaisoning with the product teams for those vendors and those partners Mm -hmm. is another big part of it. And then of course, there's like the metrics. So, you know, making all the dashboards and reports, monitoring again, the trends, and then finding those trends and then figuring out what you can action to either better those or maintain them if they're a good trend. Yeah. So much in there that I want to dig into. Yeah. We'll start with like the processes and things like that. So you describe things like onboarding a new leader or surfacing kind of product feedback from the community. What are some other examples of processes that you found commonly come up that you're working on optimizing? 
Yeah. So two things top of mind that that sparked right away was number one, reimbursements. So in a user group program, your leaders are often hosting meetings at, I don't know, some venue. They want pizza, they want gear, they want some supplies and figuring out a process for how you can reimburse your leaders for those meeting expenses was a big one for us at Salesforce. We had about like 1900 meetings. Yeah. You had a lot in that program. A month and everybody submits and so much. And there are different currencies and different numbers of attendees. We had some groups that were just like three people and some that were like a couple hundred. So how do you create that kind of sustainable and controllable reimbursement process um, where you can track everything? So created a process and a tool also afterwards where we displayed recent meetings that had happened how many RSVPs there were, and then leaders could essentially go and upload receipts. They could classify what kinds of expenses they were. And then depending on how many RSVPs, they were classified for various tiers of reimbursement. So it was very variable depending on what their use case was. Also incorporating a cost of living component into it as well. Obviously, some places are a lot cheaper to host events than others. And so incorporating all of that, making sure they were taken care of, and then partnering with our accounts payable team to make sure that they were getting reimbursed in a timely manner. So that was one kind of general process that wound up leading to a tool that we created as well. The second process is just the leader flow. So we received thousands of leader applications a month and having one person go through and read the applications for all of them look to see if there's an existing group in that area, or we had multiple different segments of different types of groups. And there were rules of like, okay, well, you can't have two of the same type of group within a certain mile radius of each other. Mm -hmm. So how do we streamline that process where leaders submit an application, our system went through and did an automatic like search to see if there was already one of that area of that certain group if there was already a leader for that group and if they wanted to go through a co-leader process. So just that entire end-to-end of like reviewing and vetting the application to then even accepting, getting the co-leader approval and then onboarding. Mm. So all of that was very streamlined. We had one person doing it and they also had other responsibilities and they couldn't have that as a full-time job. It took like 40 minutes to go through each application. Yeah. So how do you actually do that? How did you streamline that process? Because I think there's a problem a lot of community teams have is they have a lot of applications or we have it at CMX. We get hundreds of speaker applications. We get all these people kind of reaching out to be involved in different programs. And how do you thoughtfully go through it while still making members feel like they're getting responses, they feel heard, we're not being biased in our selection. So I'm curious what that specific process looked like for you all. Yeah, great question. So We obviously had to eat our own dog food at Salesforce and Salesforce is an amazing tool for all of the automation that we did. Our application was essentially a online form that would create a case in our system and the system would then go through and we used a map add-on essentially that would show these are the groups in the area, these are the segments, and then would also show, okay, well, if this is it, then this is the leader if there was already a leader or if there was a gap and they wanted to create a new group. So that would show and that would display on the front end. We had a lot of different email templates for each use case, essentially. And then we also had workflows where, for example, if there was already a leader for the group and it needed to go through a co-leader, like, hey, do you want to accept this new person as a co-leader for your group? It would automatically just send that email. And in that email, there were buttons that said, yes, we'll add them or no, we're not looking for a new leader at this time. Or like, I don't know this person. I would love an intro and I would love to have a chat with them first. And depending on what button the leaders, the existing leaders would choose, it would shoot different email templates back out to the person. So really, you know, our community coordinator really only had to facilitate certain steps and then the rest of it was taken automatically. Then also once the leader is approved, we have an automated onboarding process where We allocate them a leader Gmail account automatically. We add them to our event management platform that we use. We give them access to the swag site where they can order swag. We give them access to the reimbursement portal. And so all of that is automatically provisioned. And then the onboarding email sends off. And then that's also when their onboarding journey starts. So just handholding making sure. And that's actually one of the points that we were making sure that stayed personal. It's not 
it's automated, but they can reach out to us. We had a team Calendly if they needed to set up a call. We touch base with them if after X amount of time after onboarding, they didn't schedule a meeting or didn't engage in the community, making sure that we see them and we can follow up with them and make sure that they have all the support they need. Yeah, that's an elaborate system. And so you built that all in Salesforce in the CRM? We did. We built it all in Salesforce. And I get asked a lot if like product management or engineering is a needed skill set for a community operations person. Yeah. And I don't have any of that experience. I think product management is a kind of a byproduct or another hat that I wear sometimes just by nature of my role, but I don't know how to code. I know like basic HTML if I need to write an email. That's really it. So I partnered with a Salesforce developer who I created the business requirements, walked him through that, talked about timeline and essentially then managed that project end to end, but working with the Salesforce developer. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that a lot of community teams kind of struggle with, just that additional headcount or getting that additional resource. And so that's maybe something that other community teams might need to work through or or create a business case for it. Because I think at the end of the day, with leadership, a lot of times it's they don't necessarily either understand the potential benefit from it Mm -hmm. or because community is still kind of like nascent and a lot of people still don't quite understand. Creating that business case to justify the value and then presenting that was actually how I got my resource. And it wound up being so good because we built so many tools together. Yeah. I mean, even just like the reimbursing leaders component, it's something that when you first hear it, you're like, oh, that's you know a pretty simple thing. But then you realize that if you really want to build community at scale, which is what every business does want to do, right? They want to scale mm-hmm. up a community with their business or build a community that's helping them really grow their business. These little simple things are actually quite complex and extremely time-consuming. And the majority of these community teams, especially when it's just a solo community manager, they're doing all that themselves. And if they're like me, they're, they're not good at creating these automations and processes and all the things that you're so good at. And so we just do it manually. And then you wonder why like community teams struggling to manage it all and be more efficient. So it's like, it is, it goes back to that chicken or egg challenge. I think a lot of community teams have of they want to be able to scale in order to prove their value, but they can't get the resources. They can't get their Tiffany Yodas and their developers to help them scale in order to really show the full potential of that value. I've had multiple conversations with people who are are trying to create that business case for hiring a community operations person. And really, it's showing what that baseline is. Like, I spend, we receive X number of leader applications a week. Each one takes 40 minutes to review. That's, I'm really bad at math, but you know, that's like 2,400 minutes that someone is spending a week. I don't know how many hours that is. I'm going too far into math here. But showing that before of like, okay, well, this is the growth. This is three months ago, we were receiving this many. We're receiving like, this is the upward trend that we're seeing. And based off of this trend and how long it takes to do this process, in six months, it's going to be this. And so this is one of the reasons why we need a community operations person. Also just listing out maybe like the few, what's currently on the roadmap, what needs to be built, what kind of programs you're looking to launch, even existing feedback that you have from your community members. I'm um, creating that holistic picture of like not only would a community operations person help with that roadmap and building it out, but this is how much potential time and thus money and additional headcount could be saved by optimizing these processes. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so. I was going to ask this as well. It's kind of related is like, is that how you set goals for yourself as a community operations lead? Is it like, I'm going to reduce this, the time that this process takes by 50% by the end of the quarter? How do you set goals for yourself as a community operator? Because it's not quite as clear as like marketing or community engagement or other things that are a little bit more numbers based. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there is some of that in terms of time and money saved or just in general, how much growth you've been able to support with the community programs and processes that you go through. But a lot of the times, my KPIs have been just generally tied to the community team. So if we are looking for a certain number of new groups for the second half of the year or whatever the cadence is, 
we wouldn't be able to support that growth without the processes being optimized. So I think it's a combination of both. I think usually the amount of time saved and the dollar saved is more to upfront to create that business case. And then after you're there, it's more like making sure all the programs are running smoothly. Where were you able to launch your initiatives on time and with quality? Or did you have to pull back and not launch? Or were you delayed by something? Also, just general feedback from the community when we launch a new platform or a new tool. What are they saying? Are they using it? What's the adoption rate? Are they encountering problems? Are they sending in cases, getting stuck on something or not being able to adopt a tool? And why is the reason? Mm -hmm. So kind of, I guess, once you're hired as a community operations person and have that groove going, it's also just getting their feedback and figuring out, okay, like, are they happy? Are the programs being sustained? Are we still being able to grow? Do they still feel like there's a personal touch for those engagement touch points? And then also getting feedback from the community managers on like, are they spending their days going through processes and clicking things and doing monotonous, repetitive tasks? Or are they able to really dabble and get in touch with the community, do engagement, moderate, think about surprise and delight initiatives or innovation? So it's kind of a lot of kind of just general, I would say qualitative goals as well as the quantitative. Right. That makes sense. Most goals should be, right? Not just quantitative. Right. But on that note, a huge part of the community operations role is measurement and analytics and reporting. So I would love to hear how do you think about community measurement and reporting and what does that process look like for a community operator? Yeah, great question. I am a sucker for dashboards and reports. And so I think a daily task or even just a weekly task for a community operations person is making sure that they're they've got a pulse on all of the metrics that the community has. So Obviously, we use Salesforce. I think Comsor is a great tool up and coming as well, just to make sure that you have a very good high-level view of how the community is doing and if there are any gaps that you need to address then. So from a user group perspective, how many new leaders are joining? How many leaders are trading? How many meetings are happening? How many RSVPs are there? How many attendees are there, et cetera? From kind of an engagement standpoint, also tracking just like posts and engagement within the community, how many likes, how many ideas, how many upvotes, all of that activity. But then also from my standpoint, it was like, for example, looking at things that are not necessarily community management driven. So for example, with reimbursements, spotting trends of maybe some suspicious activity going on or, oh, this group is actually just submitting a reimbursement for the top dollar amount that's possible every single time. Why are they spending so much money every month? Or something like that where it might not be super apparent and it's not necessarily health of the community per se in the standard terms of what a healthy community is. It's more like other inefficiencies or other areas where you need to catch it to make sure it doesn't get worse. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes sense. Totally. Okay, good. Where do those dashboards live? Are they on Salesforce? So. Obviously, Eventify, we're still building everything out and it's going to be a combination of Salesforce, the community platform itself. And I think a big part of it will also be Comsor. But also a lot of the platforms do have their own dashboards and reporting functions as well. I really like to consolidate and Salesforce is a great place to consolidate and bring in all of that data via integrations and APIs. So, And their dashboarding functions are, are pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where the majority of Eventify stuff will live. And obviously Salesforce, we all use Salesforce stuff too. Mm-hmm. Are you reporting so community engagement metrics? I guess like that's Comsor would be more for like measuring the health of community or tracking community engagement across different platforms. Is that the idea? Yeah. And as far as tracking business impact or the business value of community, how are you going about that? That will probably end up being through Salesforce with a combination of we use a different tool for our customer support. Mm-hmm. So in terms of business impact, a big part of it will obviously be case deflections. Currently, we just do cases through email. There's no community. So really watching the number of cases that we currently receive, what our baseline is to our hopefully big decrease in number of cases and just like posts get or questions getting answered in the community is going to be a big first business impact. So you're prioritizing like it's like a support forum is what you're building out first at Venify? That's one of the things. I mean, we're going to do the full gambit. So we're going to be doing questions, 
there's posts, there's groups, and there's ideas. That's probably going to be where we're starting. Mm. We don't currently have a user group program. We don't have a super user program. We're like going back to super basics. And that was one of the things that really drew me to this role is when do you actually get to build a community from scratch? Build from the ground like there's up. There's nothing right now, which yeah. is great. Yeah. What uh, platform are you using? For, for the forums. Mm-hmm. For the forums. We, I hope this is okay to say, we're going with Insighted. <laughs> okay, cool. That's yeah. a great platform. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's different from Salesforce. Because Salesforce, you were more focused on user groups, like local event chapters, right? With at, Well, at Salesforce, we also had everything. So the MVP program, we did have a very, very strong online presence too. I think it was a little bit siloed in the fact that we had like online community and then we had user groups and they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily overlap very much or talk to one another. And so I think that might be something just to keep in mind for us as we're building the communities, how to get those a little bit more intertwined so that someone, obviously people will have their own preferences, but if there's a point where people could be both active in the online community as well as maybe the in-person community. I mean, that's the goal, right? Yeah. So by intertwined, do you mean that people are using both or that like from a user experience or member experience perspective that it's more connected to each other? What do you mean you want it more intertwined? All of the above. So making sure that if someone is online and they're browsing the online community Do they even know that we have a user group program? Do they know that they can meet with people locally around them to go to an event? So both in terms of like showing on the platform, making sure that it's easily able to, it's not separate like sites. You can actually see upcoming events based off of your location, or let's say you're searching for a specific product or a specific feature being able to see, oh, this group is actually meeting and they're talking about this thing coming up. Mm-hmm. As well as the actual engagement and community member participation of just like if... Obviously, there will be the people who just love typing and being behind a computer. But if there's a way that you can bring them out and meet and connect with other people in real life, and I put in real life in quotes with COVID and all that stuff. Sure. But just making it a more well-rounded community where it's not just like, oh, you're the online people. Oh, you're the in-person people. Because I hear that from a lot of people that I talk to too, of like, how do you bring them all together? So it's not just like two completely separate parts of the community. Totally. I'm asking as well, because I'm kind of curious to get your take on from an operations standpoint, like one of the challenges we've had at TMX, for example, is we have all these different places that people engage with a community. And a lot of companies have this today where they have a forum that they own and they have data and they can manage it all in one place. Then we use Bevy to do all the local events and the chapters, which I know you all used at Salesforce as well. Mm -hmm. And then we have a Facebook group. We have a Slack group. People engage with us in kind of all these different places. Do you see that as kind of the realm of community operations in terms of how do you create a more cohesive community experience for your members when you have all these kind of different platforms that may or may not talk to each other or even give you any data in terms of like, Facebook or Slack, for example. So from the community member experience perspective and the data perspective, it can feel kind of disjointed and hard to manage. Mm -hmm. I see that as an opportunity for community operations to solve for that problem. Is that something that you focused on? I personally haven't focused on that too much. We didn't use Facebook groups or they were super unofficial, just like depending on the region, Facebook is more popular in some than others. Sure. Same thing with Slack, but I do, I do think that that is the responsibility of a community operations person, at least maybe not in terms of like engagement. I think that's going to be a community manager's job to make sure that if you're going to allow those several different platforms that you have some sort of moderation or engagement practices and you have an eye on them and you are interacting in them. From an operational perspective, though, I do think making sure that you have some sort of tied metrics together. So if certain people are maybe more active in one than the other, making sure you have that tracked or just general, is there a point where you want to maybe deprecate or sunset one or work on creating a trend that everybody goes into your preferred one? Or I guess if you have an official collaboration group or a collaboration platform, how do you guide people in there? I think is one. And then also just general use. So if there are certain like SSO or login criteria, like if you as a customer or as a new customer sign up for the platform or the service or whatever your company does, what is the access point and how do they get access to those different ones? Because 
if, for example, there's an unofficial group, not only do you not necessarily have control what happens in there, but you don't know if they're not officially onboarded to the group, they could go years of being in the community without even realizing, oh, I didn't know there was a Slack group. Right. And that's not what you want to hear. So yeah, that's the challenge we have. <laughs> yeah. So streamlining everything, if you're going to offer those tools, helping to maybe create the documentation, maybe create a, a webinar, showing the different options, because you just want to make it even. Like if someone's going to be in one thing, you want everyone to have the ability to be in that thing too. Totally. So that it's not just different groups talking all over the place. Yeah, totally. I think it's going to be an ongoing challenge because you also aren't always going to have control over it. Like you said, even like mm-hmm. customers could start a Salesforce group on Facebook and it's you still want to be engaged in those places. And I know companies that have subreddits that were started by customers that are yeah. now huge with hundreds of thousands of customers. And it's like, well... We need to be there. We need to engage with it, but we don't have control over it or get data from it. So how do you still create Mm -hmm. a more cohesive community experience and be able to manage it at scale? It's a big challenge. Right. And I think that's actually one of the things that we worked on and I think is a big part of operations is the policies and guidelines in terms of service and just general participation guidelines within the community. Because they're using the tools that you're creating, because they're following the process that you make, I think it's super important for the operations person to be partnering with like legal and the obviously the head of community and making sure that all of their bases and all of the operational bases are covered in policies and guidelines. Totally. And to your point of if there's something unofficial going on, how do you handle that? We, for example, at Salesforce found a lot of kind of like rogue user groups. If, for example, there was already a group of that segment in that region, but they wanted to start one and they couldn't start a new one and they didn't want to co-lead with the existing leader, they would just start a rogue one and like post it on Facebook or whatever different channel. And so it's reaching out to them and letting them know, obviously in a polite way that like, we may not be able to provide you any resources. Like you're not going to get any reimbursements. You're not going to get any swag. You can't use the Salesforce name. You can't get access to things and perks and privileges that officially onboarded leaders get. And then kind of also, unfortunately, like partnering with community managers if it needs escalation and kind of just working through on that. But those are kind of the details that you need to think through as an operations person of like all the different gaps and all the different exception cases of like, if someone comes in from this angle, how do you handle that from a process standpoint versus kind of just like the mainstream what most people go through? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Hi everyone, Anne-Marie Polikidinkle here, event manager at CMX, and I am crashing this podcast to cordially invite you all to CMX Summit 2021 Rise. On August 31st through September 2nd, join seasoned practitioners, emerging leaders, and industry experts for three jam-packed days of speakers, hands-on workshops, and networking with the world's largest group of community builders everything you need to rise up and thrive. Head over to cmxhub.com to RSVP now. See you there. All right, a couple more questions before a rapid fire question round. Oh, then fun. There's a bunch more questions after that. <laughs> you mentioned how working on the roadmap for your community team. Curious to get your quick take on just what does that roadmap actually look like? How do you go about planning out into the future for a community team? Yeah, great question. So it definitely highly depends on the state of where your community is in its progression. If you're Obviously, a brand new community team, it's building out the processes and programs from scratch. So we do it quarter by quarter. And it's like this quarter, we are looking to, for example, like launch the platform. What are the things that that entails? There's also kind of an internal and external roadmap. So what kind of things do you want to share with the community based on their feedback? Maybe they're looking for a new group segment, or maybe they're looking for a way to provide anonymous feedback to the community team. Maybe they're looking for better perks and swag or like different, or I guess, new swag items. So listening to their feedback and you're like, okay, well, based off of our team size, based off of the already ongoing initiatives, for example, if your company has large events that take up a lot of your time because there's a lot of community initiatives, that time's going to be blocked. Kind of looking into all of that and planning 
all right, well, these are the optimizations and the program improvements and everything on the back end that may need to be done. And then also these are the front-facing front of the house. These are the community programs. These are the surprise and delight initiatives that are happening throughout the year. And my role is really making sure that they were timed in a way that our team and our resources and our partner stakeholders had bandwidth for. And then also just the timeline. So if we knew a new project or initiative was coming up, planning before that, maybe the quarter before for scoping, business requirements, gathering, if we needed to do like platform assessments and figure out which platform we wanted to use, making sure all of that is kind of timed. And then publicly discussing it, getting approval from your colleagues, your the community team, mm-hmm. as well as getting leadership and support. Yeah, that's incredible. So it's a, a whole kind of project management role as well. Yeah. And I think it's super important to be very transparent with your community on the roadmap and what's going on. So a lot of it is we collect feedback on a regular basis. We also mm-hmm. have an advisory board who provides us feedback if we want to do like betas or you just run ideas by mm-hmm. people. The advisory board is perfect for that. And then one important thing is they want to know that they're heard. So based off of your feedback, you wanted this and we're right. going to be able to deliver it to you then. I close the loop. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of them, depending on the people, like if you have a super user program or you have those old timers, those, those regulars who order the same thing every time they go to the restaurant, a lot of them are also super interested in just like the internal ongoings of like, if you're super stuck on a process, if you're receiving tons of applications in a certain area, what's going on and having those kinds of conversations and sharing the internal roadmap with them actually helps too. Because when they're in the community and they see, oh, I've been waiting for this for super long, they can actually jump in and help you moderate from that perspective as well. So it's not just on the community team, but you have those trusted long time in people who you can kind of count and rely on to help with your roadmap and sharing that knowledge with them too. Love it. Yeah. Wildly valuable for any community team. What advice do you have for somebody who doesn't have an operations background or is a solo community professional to find opportunities to optimize the work they're doing? Like what are the lowest hanging fruit you've seen or where can someone get started just becoming more efficient as a community professional, as a community builder? A a lot of times I see, and I know just like from the teams that I've worked on, so many different documents everywhere. Yeah. And lowest hanging fruit, I think, is just general organization and documenting things. So if you're noticing a trend or if you see an improvement or have an idea, document it and come up with examples Anytime that instance comes up, write it down. Because as you're working on creating maybe a new process, you need to think about all those exception cases and you need to think through, okay, well, this time I did this and this time I did this, or it took me this long this time. And then it took me even longer because of this complication came up. Or if there's any time where you need to wait for somebody to provide an action, document that as well. Because when you're working on scoping out, whether it's the platform that you want to use or the business requirements that this new process or this new platform needs to solve, you're going to need to cover all the basis and make sure that you have all of those, just like every potential route that a user front-facing or back-facing could go, like you need to think through all of those things. Yeah. So having everything documented is one thing, but there are so many times where it's like, oh, this is documented here. This is documented here, like all that stuff. And so I think even just making sure your folders are organized, it sounds super simple, but the number of times I've seen people like take 15 minutes to search for a file or a document. (laughs) (laughs) What do you use for that? Do you have a tool that you like to use for documentation? We've always just used internal tools. So Salesforce, we used Quip and then we use Confluence Identify. Yeah, we use Confluence as well. I'm a huge fan of it now. Yeah. And I've used Google Docs before too. I love Confluence. Mm-hmm. Google Docs, I feel like is just, you're just doomed. <laughs> it's so hard <laughs> to keep organized and like sharing it. Yeah. I mean, Confluence, the parent pages took me a little bit to yes. figure out how I wanted to organize too. Yeah. But once you get it, at least it's like all on this clear hierarchy of information. And I just mm-hmm. I find it easier to find. Although then you can't do spreadsheets. And so we still use Google Docs for spreadsheets. It's Yeah. No, still no single solution, but I've become a huge fan of documentation. I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Now, documentation is amazing and I love it. 
but it doesn't mean anything if it's not getting looked at. And so that's also something that I think operations people should work on is making sure that if you're documenting a new process, make sure your team knows, schedule a quick walkthrough with them. Or I think there was a, a message about you. I think you posted something in Slack of like you add a little question at the end, or I added a unicorn in a document. Mm, it's like yeah. adding little Easter eggs here and there, making sure they see it. Yeah. Making sure people actually read your reports is an yes, ongoing exactly. challenge. Yeah. Right. Or even something as simple as like posting in Slack, like I've written an updated documentation for X process. Please review it and give me a checkbox emoji yes. when you're done. That way, at least there's accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The example that you just talked about in Slack, that was we do our monthly community report and we always close it out with like, that's the community, T-E-A. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. and I was like, if you actually read to the bottom, respond with a T emoji. And I just got all these emails back from my team with T emojis. And I was like, that's all right, good. awesome. Yeah. That's people amazing. read it. Yeah. And it's fun for them because now they're like, it's like a point of pride. Like, yeah, I did read this whole thing. Here's your emoji. I saw mm-hmm. it. I saw your yeah. little Easter egg. So it works. And when they learn to just scroll to the bottom to look for it, you actually start embedding it somewhere in the report. Oh, you got moving mm-hmm. around. Change the emoji. Yep. Mm-hmm. Switch up your Easter eggs. Keep them on their toes. I love it. <laughs> what is the future of community operations? Where is this whole world going? I would obviously love to see more of us out there. I think for a really long time, I was like, I don't have anyone to talk to about this. Like, where can I talk nerdy with people about documentation and processes and tech stack and all this stuff? And so I would love for it to become more mainstream. And I think it's headed in that direction as communities, more community teams continue to sprout and grow. It's inevitable that they're going to need some sort of operationally mindsetted person on their team. Mm And so that's why Cassie Mays and I started Community Observations is trying to find the other community operations people like us to talk and share best practices and tips and tricks and things like that. I think more teams building that business case to hire community operations people and further defining it. It's still very ambiguous to a lot of people what a community operations person does. Is it a product manager? Is it just a program manager? Is it a project manager? Is it like engineer or developer, what does it mean? And just helping people craft the right job descriptions for it and finding those people who not very many people will have community operations on their resumes because that's still pretty new. So how do you find those people with the right skill set and right experience where they could easily segue into being a community operations person, I think is super important. And eventually, I would love to see community... This I know this is kind of mentioned a lot, but seeing community teams treated as a product team where you have the community manager, you have a marketing person, you have a product person, you have an engineer, and then you have a community operations person mm-hmm. who can help kind of like tie everything together. Totally. Yeah. The specialization of teams is becoming really interesting. I wrote recently, like there's like seven kinds of community roles from kind of what you just described. You have community designers, you have the community engagement managers, the community program managers, the community operators, community events, community marketing. So you have all these different roles that are forming that are specializations. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, though. For community to be able to have full teams, it needs to reach a certain scale. In order to reach that scale, it needs to get buy-in and be able to show its value. Mm -hmm. But it's sometimes hard to show that until you really reach that scale. But we're starting to see that now with your team as an example. And you get to work with the incredible Holly Firestone who paved <laughs> the way for a team like this to take shape. She's been on the mm-hmm. podcast before as well. I've heard her episode. Yeah. <laughs> Very good as expected. So we're starting to see more examples of people like Holly being able to build great teams and form more of these specializations. And I think the community operations one is going to be one that really stands out, is really critical. I think in a lot of ways, it is kind of the missing key that will unlock this massive amount of value that we've all been talking about community provides to businesses. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to reach that full value without operational mindset and systems and processes and being able to automate it so that when you do reach thousands of chapters like you had at Salesforce, you can do that efficiently. You can build community at scale. Right. Yeah. No, I think I just don't understand how people can scale and grow community without automating some of the processes. I just feel so bad for the people who are stuck in that rut of 
doing everything manually and not being able to get that additional support. And you can't take, your community will get stuck at some points mm-hmm. because there are only a certain number of hours in the day and having someone be able to kind of take a step back and look at long-term and how they can save time and make things go smoother and streamline things with working with other partners and just making things better all around. I think that's so cool. And I really want to help as many community teams as I can get to that point of being able to build that business case and get someone amazing on board to help them with that. We share the same goals. (laughs) I love it. And I think good news is there are a lot of really great operators out there who are looking to get into the community industry. So to your point, you're not Mm -hmm. going to find a lot of people with community operations on their resume, but like we're hiring for this role now, which Mm -hmm. you've given me a lot of great feedback on the role and job description, but I've been surprised and impressed to see incredible quality of candidates with deep operational experience who are just like, I want to get in this community industry because community is more popular now and growing. And there's a lot of operators, I think, who are just like you, who have a passion for community and some experience just personally with it. And they're like, oh, I can take my operational chops and apply it to community building. It's like a dream come true for a lot of people. So if you're hiring for the role, I think you'll find some really quality candidates out there right now. Yeah, definitely. You hit the nail on the head with that one. Awesome. All right. Well, like I said, we're, I'm not going to be able to extract all of your knowledge in the allotted time here, but I'm going to try to extract just a little bit more in our rapid fire question round. Rapid fire. Yeah. We do need We need some sort of sound effect. Notes to the editors. Let's find a sound effect for the rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> right, like, yeah, like Jeopardy style. Yeah. The Daily Double. Okay. So rapid fire question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You ready to do this? Yeah, I hope so. Okay. My palms are a little sweaty now. Rapid fire. Okay. That's normal. It's a normal symptom of the rapid fire question round. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Number one, what's your favorite book to give as a gift to others? It is called Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier. Mm. And it is by Robert Emmons. He was actually one of my professors at UC Davis for undergrad. And his class was amazing. Just how to find gratitude in the little things throughout the day. And it really does a wonder to make you happier. So just, yeah, I love that book. And anybody who I can preach it to, I will. Love it. I'll have to pick it up. I get a lot of good book recommendations from this podcast. So that sounds like one I'd like to read. I'm grateful for that recommendation. See, I already started. Oh, I see. Love it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> number two. What's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? I actually just like very simply love to hear what everyone's working on. And that generally gets a lot of activity in terms of like, oh, what are your wins for this week? Or what's everyone working on this week? I would say without thinking and creating a huge initiative out of something like that's just an easy way to say like, Hey, I'm here. Like, let's talk. Check in. Check in. Love it. Number three, have you ever worn socks with sandals? Not intentionally, but as a means to an end. Mm. Like if I need to go to the garage for something and I'm wearing socks and there's slippers in the garage, I will go to the car to get something. But as a fashion statement, no. Not in public. Not ever. Never. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'm going to check that as a no. (laughs) I also want to hear from you. Do you? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. I mean, San Francisco, it's kind of like I want to wear sandals, but it's freezing even in the summer. So I'm just going to rock it sometimes. I think it also depends on the type of sandal. Like you can't really do flip flops unless you're wearing toe socks or if you do the, you know, the Japanese thing. Yeah. Oh, that drives me nuts. I can't even imagine how people do that and aren't just constantly uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. In San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. the other thing is like, I always bring a, a pair of backup socks. Like I might wear sandals out, but I'm like, it's going to get cold at some point today. So you always have to pair, I have to have a pair of backup socks that I'll slide on. And I'll wear mine with Berkey's, Birkenstocks, you know? Yeah. Those are the ones that make the most sense with socks, honestly. Yeah. I only have flip-flops, so. I think there's a whole community for Birkenstocks Birkenstocks with socks. There's like a whole community of people who That's awesome. wear that. Yeah. Cool. If you're looking for another community to join. Can you imagine at like a meetup? I can't imagine. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'd be very surprised if there isn't. And I'm a little surprised that I haven't been there. I'm going to yeah. have to seek it out. Look it up and uh, yeah, post it on Twitter because <laughs> that would be amazing. I will. We'll follow <laughs> up the interview with the update on Birkenstock sock meetups. <laughs> okay. Next question. Who in the world of community would you most like to take out for lunch? 
Honestly, you were on that list for a very long time. And I know this isn't lunch, but it's been so cool getting to talk to you. I remember just like admiring you on stage at CMX Summit (laughs) like several years ago. And now like it's awesome being able to talk to you. I also would love to chat with Rich Millington Mm. and Elizabeth Kinsey from Slack. Both great ones. Yeah, Rich was my last guest on the podcast. Actually, his interview just came out. Oh, cool. I'll have to catch that. They're both great ones. Well... I can help you get lunch with those two fabulous people. So let's make sure that happens. (laughs) If you could give one piece of advice to all new community managers, what would it be? Community first. It's really hard sometimes, especially from an operations standpoint, to get the mindset of rules and you need to do this and this and this and abiding by things. But at the end of the day, you need to think about community first. What is their experience? Like, What are their stories? Why are they involved in community? And just remembering to think about them First, because they're the most important people. Like without them, there would be no community. So always having them in mind, regardless of if it's a process or what kind of swag they want or what kind of programs you run or how you communicate with them, like what kind of emails or mm-hmm. notifications or whatnot. Um, you always want to think about them first. I love that. That's our number one value at CMX and Bevy. It's been our value since the start. So it's a good one. I love it. Yeah. All right. What's the proudest moment of your career? This is going to be cheesy, but actually getting that job at Salesforce, you know, living in San Francisco, you watch that tower getting built. And I was like, one day I really want to work at that tower. And I was only applying for jobs at Salesforce, actually. I knew a lot of friends who worked there, had only heard really good things about working there, loved the product from an end user and and being a Salesforce admin. And the fact that I found this role that just checked every box and working for Erica and Holly, Mm -hmm. it was just such an amazing time in my life. That's awesome. <laughs> Living the dream. Not like now isn't, but sure. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's an incredible team. And you got to be on one of the like gold standards of community teams to start things off. So that's pretty great. Such an amazing experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you helped make it a gold standard. So yeah. Oh, thank you. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? Uh, I don't know if I want to share this in public, <laughs> but I was part of like a World of Warcraft community in college. That's great. Why don't you want to share that in public? I don't know because <laughs> I like to perceive myself as like cool girl, not like a nerdy. That's nerdy cool. Gamer Nerdy's girl. cool. Now. Even though it's like good. I know. I know it's so good. But for some reason, like World of Warcraft itself, like if you're like dungeon, I feel like any other game is good nerdy, but I don't know. For some reason, wow, for me, it's <sighs> like, yeah, I was part of like yeah. But anyway, I was part of a World of Warcraft community. and It's better than EverQuest. You could have been an EverQuest <laughs> community member and that would have been even more nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite recently though is just that I don't own a Corgi. I own a Shiba, but I go to CorgiCon and talk with Corgi community uh, very frequently. Wait, you go to CorgiCon, but you don't own a Corgi? No, just a I Corgi. bring my Shiba. <laughs> is, you, is it like a chubby Shiba? Does like does it pass? No, <laughs> no, he doesn't pass. You know, some people who don't actually know the breed very well will ask if he's a Corgi, uh-huh. but all of the Corgi people obviously know he's not a Corgi. But they don't, they're, they're very welcoming people. Uh-huh. So they actually kind of really like the diversity that my dog brings to CorgiCon. Sure. Do other people bring other dogs to the Corgi meetups that aren't Corgis? They do. Okay. They do. Yeah. I love this. You're like a Corgi meetup crasher. (laughs) I am. I've attended more than one. (laughs) Many, actually. (laughs) I love it. You should put like a little chubby suit on your Shiba next time and see (gasps) if you can like pass like a Shiba in a Corgi costume. Yoshi with a fat suit. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be great. Yes. We will also follow up on this. Afterwards, yes. All right. In addition, maybe to we the can meet up with a Birkenstock sock and Corgi slash Secret Sheba meetup. We can all meet up in the what park. A rich community. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be very. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put uh, socks and Birkenstocks on your Sheba while in a Corgi costume. <laughs> I'm just imagining this, and it's hilarious. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Really good spitballing here on community concepts. Yep. All right, next question. What's a question I didn't ask you that I should have? Mm, pet peeve. What's my pet peeve okay. in work? What's your pet peeve? I hate the word automatically <laughs> because for people who don't understand automation, they're like, oh, let's just do this automatically and or automatically and make like <laughs> these things happen. And any operational person will be like, you don't understand the amount of work that needs to get done in yeah. order to do it. Yeah. 
yeah. automatically. So you're not changing your LinkedIn title to auto magician anytime soon? <sighs> no, no, I don't think so. How do you feel about the word synergy? A funny story with synergy, actually. I loved it and I used it so much when I was working at Salesforce, Holly actually banned me from using it. So I don't think I've used that word in like four years now. I hate the word synergy. (laughs) Cool. Good answer. All right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice on how to live, what would that advice be? It's a combination of Hakuna Matata and Embrace the Chaos. I tend to get very worked up about little things. I'm like a planner. I'm type A. I want everything perfect and would often get very stressed out if a project got a hiccup or if I didn't hear back from a stakeholder in time or something was happening with my project where it was just causing me stress. So Hakuna Matata is obviously a good one that I've had from youth of just like, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. No worries. No worries for the rest of your days. And... Embrace the chaos is kind of similar. I had a previous boss tell me that because I would just get so worked up. And it's honestly great. It's okay if something's messy or if you miss a deadline because of something. We're not in heart surgery. No one's dying. It's not the end of the world. You're going to be okay. And then I'm going to cheat and say kind of a third one is I volunteered at a kindergarten for a while. And whenever the kids would have temper tantrums, the teacher would fake crumple a piece of paper Mm-hmm. And throw it over her shoulder and be like, little deal, throw it away, throw it away. And so I think that there's a trend of me just getting stressed and angry about certain things, which is what all three sayings help me with. Right. But if something's bothering you, like I actually just go like this. And I don't know for podcast people, if you can see me, I'm literally crumping up a pretend piece of paper, throwing it over my shoulder and just being little deal, throw it away. I love it. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Yeah. I want to get a tattoo that says like this on my wrist from a book called Dropping Ashes on the Buddha. And the advice mm-hmm. in that was like, Zen is like this. It's like, whatever it is right now, it's just, it's like this. You don't need to change your expectation of how things are now. Just like sit with it. Love it. When you first said it, I thought it was like a social media thing. And I was like, interesting. Come on. I know that's my, that's part of the reason I haven't gotten a tattoo yet. <laughs> I want people to think it's like, oh, like you're a Facebook fan. <laughs> yeah. Nope. But no, I love conversation that. Conversation starter, I guess. Yeah. Like this. So you have a fourth one now to add to your list. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, we are at the end of our time. This was an absolute pleasure. I would love to have you back again soon because I think the world of operations and community is going to continue to grow and we're just going to have more and more things to talk about. I need to make it to an observations. Thursdays have been rough for me, but I'm going to make it to one. Please do. I have to join your community. But just want to say how grateful I am for you coming and sharing all your wisdom with me here today. But also just you've been a huge advocate for this space for a long time now. And you are very generous with your wisdom and your time. And I constantly seeing see you helping other community professionals and other community operators. And you've already quickly, in my mind, become a leader in the world of community operations. And the work you're doing and the example you're setting, I think, will lead to thousands of people being able to enter this kind of work more effectively, with more success, more confidently. So just grateful for all the work you're doing and for being so generous with all of your wisdom. You are definitely making me gush here. So thank you so much for saying that. I'm also very grateful for you and this opportunity. It's been... I love community so much. I love even just all the people in Slack and getting to meet everybody. And it's been such a fun journey so far and you've been a huge part of it and a huge inspiration to me. So I'm truly grateful for the opportunity and getting to talk to you. Awesome. We can go for lunch as well. Yes. But I also feel like this has been amazing. We'll do an off the record lunch off the record. without microphones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, glad to hear that CMX has helped you and we can all just keep passing the torch forward to the next generation of community professionals. <sighs> That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where can people go to continue to learn from you, join observations, continue to connect with you? Yeah, feel free to... We do monthly meetups, as you were saying. It's called Community Observations. They happen monthly and we post registration in the Community Operations Slack channel within the CMX workspace. And then I'm on Twitter, at Tiff E as an Echo Oda. And I also have, we have an ops Gmail. It's ops, the number four community at gmail.com. Oh, nice. so if you ever want to reach me, you can go through that route as well. 
and Slack. I'm pretty much everywhere. You can find me pretty easily. Yeah. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.